0: Alright, kicking off this hour. We're gonna chat some NFL with Matt Marchese coming up in just a few moments. Thursday night football last night. Pittsburgh Steelers with a win over the Tennessee Titans. An early start to the Sunday slate of games with the Chiefs and Dolphins. Bills Bengals on Sunday night football, and it all wraps up with the Jets and Chargers on Monday. Looking forward to chatting with Matty in just a few seconds here. We're coming July from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Downtown Studios here in Calgary, Alberta. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, cracked Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls, they have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. News of the day for the Calgary Flames. Matt Coronado sent down to the American Hockey League's Calgary Wranglers. His first game this afternoon As a member of the Wranglers, he's already opened up the scoring at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Flames were back at practice this afternoon, getting set for their Saturday night matchup against the Seattle Kraken. 7 o'clock, Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg. 8 o'clock, puck drop with Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson right here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan, more Flames talk coming up later this afternoon, but let's go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline right now. Chat with our Friday regular host of the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It's our pal, Matt Marchese. Matty, happy Friday, pal. How are you?
1: I'm good, man. So listening to that uh, instrumental from Will Smith, who spews more BS, Jada Pinkett Smith or Jerry Jump?
0: It's close. (laughs)
1: Uh. I figured you'd say it's close. I still think Jada's got Jerry beat, but give her a week and I'm sure she'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, hers is more personal, which is kind of like I kind of feel worse because hers like affects a man that clearly doesn't have the control to get out of that. But Jerry Jones <laughs> is, is close in a lot of ways. It's it should be. <laughs> let, let me put it this way: it should be a much bigger gap between the two than it is.
1: Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that.
0: Uh, Maddie, Thursday night football in the books last night. It wasn't a it wasn't a classic, but it was interesting to say the least. Titans three and five. Steelers now 5-3. and three. Uh, Will Levis was the talking point coming in after a four-touchdown NFL debut. Did he do anything last night to convince you that he could be the Titans quarterback of the future?
1: What I saw was a lot of poise yesterday. Even when he wasn't making throws, he also wasn't making mistakes. And I know everybody will point to, well, you know, he threw an interception at the end of the game. Okay, fine. But, like, I don't... I'm not going to use that as a knock on the guy because I thought he made some really good throws. The arm talent is certainly there. I mean, he does do some things that rookies tend to do. You know, the old Josh Allen, start on one side of the field, run to the other, and then throw it back to where you just were. Uh, Probably not a great thing, but I thought that he made some, some good plays yesterday. I don't see a situation where you can even consider putting Ryan Tannehill or Malik Willis in, that quarterback outside of an injury um, because this has to be Will Levis' team. If I'm looking at the two quarterbacks last night, Will Levis was a hell of a lot more impressive than Kenny Pickett was. And, like, I would, I would make the argument, and I don't even know if it's an argument, Will Levis is a guy I would rather have than Kenny Pickett at this point, and he's only two games into his career. Um, last weekend's performance against what was, you know, pretty decent Atlanta defense, the four touchdowns, and then yesterday, I mean, I I thought he looked okay. You know, he, he when he was under duress, he would throw the ball away when necessary, and I, I thought he limited his mistakes, and to me, he showed some signs of promise. Historically, Mike Tomlin has done a good job against opposing rookie QBs, and I thought Will Levis looked pretty good. When we consider who he's throwing the ball to, um, I thought it was pretty good.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. He's not exactly uh, throwing it to Travis Kelsey or A.J. Brown or anybody like that. Or
1: or Deontay Johnson and George Pickens and, yeah, like the other side of the ball, yeah. Uh,
0: From a Titans perspective, now at the bottom of the AFC South, is it even more confusing to you why this team didn't sell at the trade deadline, why they didn't move on from a guy like Derrick Henry? Uh, This seems to be a team that... Just love sitting in the middle, Matt. They're never bad enough to get a top pick, but they're never good enough to be a Super Bowl contender either. Yeah, they had
1: those couple of years with Brable, like right in kind of the middle of his tenure, you know, year three and four. Uh, one year they won the conference, and you're like, wow, how the heck did that happen? And they've, they've had some success, but, you know, nine and seven the first two years, under Mike Vrabel, um, they had the, the other uh, – last year was – I think they were 7-10. and 10. This year they're kind of projected to be right around there as well. Um, it just – it doesn't – when the defense started to get worse, which it has, that's when you started to notice the warts because Brian Tannehill is not good enough to be your starter. That's just, that's just the reality of the situation. It was curious as to – and I, I don't know how many calls they got – on Ryan Tannehill. Um, I don't know how many calls they got on um, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I'm sure they got at least a couple. We're led to believe they got more than a couple on Derrick Henry, specifically one from the Baltimore Ravens. Like, I don't know. It just, to me, it's almost as if the organization has a different look on where they're at than maybe the rest of us do, which maybe should tell us about how the organization is kind of run right now. To me, I looked at them this season coming in, and I thought that they were going to be battling with Houston for the bottom of the division, although I also thought Indy was going to be there. And they're all kind of there in that conversation, but, you know, Brian Tannehill as your starter did not exude a ton of confidence, and now we're seeing it. The defense has lost a step. They traded away Kevin Byard to the Philadelphia Eagles, and so that secondary is not very good. Uh, To me, it was a very confusing deadline for the Titans, and the the one specifically was, if you had an offer that was decent for Derrick Henry, you should have taken it because let's be real, he's 29 years old, he's nearing the end of his tenure, he doesn't look like the same explosive guy. Although he was good yesterday, but you got to get an asset for him without you know letting him walk out the door for nothing, and that feels like a big miss for an organization that really is in the you know the the process of rebuilding this.
0: On the other side of the ball, Steelers move to five and three, and I'm getting flashbacks of a. I want this. I want to say this in the right way, and I hope you understand when I say this. In the sense of, they feel Patriots esque to me. In the sense of, I don't think you can ever count them out, and I'm not. I'm not comparing dynasties. You know, the Steelers haven't won anywhere near the same kind of Super Bowls, but Mike Tomlin just seems to be able to put out a competitive team year in, year out. Every year, the last couple of years, even with Kenny Pickett, I've been ready to to write this team off, and here they are still battling, still trying to keep up with a team like Baltimore in that division.
1: So Donna and I had the conversation about why we don't talk about Mike Tomlin as the best coach in the NFL. He doesn't have as many Super Bowls as Bill Belichick, but he also didn't have you know, Tom Brady. Um, he did have Ben Roethlisberger for a bit, but he also had a very broken Ben Roethlisberger for a few years. He also had a year where Ben Roethlisberger got hurt and they were starting Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. Like, that wasn't good. And that team, if I'm not mistaken, was eight. They were at worst eight and eight because Mike Collins never had a losing season. But they may have been nine and seven and on the door of the playoffs. All Mike Tomlin does is win football games. Doesn't matter what his team looks like. It doesn't matter who his quarterback is, or how broken they are, or maybe not, or, or how good they might not be, and they manage to win. Can you say that they don't have a talented roster? No, they have T.J. Watt, Micah Fitzpatrick when he's healthy. Um, they have uh, uh, Cam Hayward. They've got like there's a there. They are a good football team, but. Good football teams can be great football teams if they have a quarterback. And Mike Tomlin has not had that for, what, the past four years? And there was a time with a very battered and old Fred Roethlisberger that this team started the year 12-0. and Let's not forget that. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, Mike Tomlin, doesn't matter the roster, every game is close. It may not be pretty, but Mike Tomlin's in every game, regardless of the roster. So I will make the case that the Steelers will be in the conversation for the playoffs as long as Mike Tomlin's the head coach, because he's given me no reason to believe otherwise at this
0: point. Last point on the Steelers. This is purely nitpicking from my perspective every time I watch this team. Does it not seem like Jalen Warren's the better running back in Pittsburgh, but he constantly gets less carries than Najee Harris. And doesn't get nearly the goal line opportunities. I can't, I can't seem to understand that one. They, I get you put a first round pick up for for Najee Harris and you want to use it, but Jalen Warren just seems like the better back.
1: He's certainly the guy with more juice. Um, he looked great last night. I think he was 11 carries for 80 yards. Uh, had a couple of nice grabs out of the backfield. Um, almost scored a touchdown. I mean. And and this is the funny thing. You know, we just talked about the Titans and, you know, maybe not having self-awareness or not knowing what's on your roster, how good you are. I do wonder sometimes if they know how good Jalen Warren looks.
0: Like, I don't know what
1: tape they're watching, and and, and maybe it's not the same stuff as we're watching on TV, but Jalen Warren has speed. He's tough. There was one play last night, and I don't know who the defender was. He literally ran the guy over as if he was not there. And – He just looks more explosive out of the backfield. Um, He certainly doesn't get caught up in the backfield as much as it feels like Najee Harris does. I don't understand it. I I really don't. And I get the draft capital thing as well. But if you're trying to win football games, don't you want the best player to play? And so I I wonder if we are getting closer to seeing more of a 50-50 split in workload between the two guys because, Jalen Warren looks like a guy that can make plays out of the backfield more often than Najee Harris, and that's something that I don't expect to change the rest of the year. And by the way, you're not nitpicking because we've been having this conversation for weeks now, and I have no idea how they have not realized.
0: It. Just just hasn't made any sense to me. I'm curious if we finally start to see that level off again. Uh, let's look ahead to the Sunday slate here. Uh, Maddie uh, kicks off very early, seven thirty here in Calgary. Uh, for a another NFL international game pretty good one for the fans uh, fans in Frankfurt Germany the six and two dolphins and the six and two chiefs is the early game on Sunday the best one of the week nine Sunday slate in your opinion
1: um I would if it was being played in Miami or in Kansas City I would say yes but because it's being played over the pond i I'm not certain about that because how many good europe games have we seen it's not very many i like, don't know
0: that i can name I not, one i don't, i honestly don't know that not, i could name one
1: and so and so this is why i'm so hesitant like i think i saw the total was like 50 and a half or something like that and, and part of me is like yeah i could see it but then part of me is like i could also see them score 35 points total because you're going to europe it's a different stadium you have jet lag you know like it took it took the jacksonville jaguars an extra week to really kind of get the offense going in London when they were there for the two weeks, you know, the second week they played Buffalo. So I'm really hesitant, but it's going to be very interesting. You know, it's the revenge game. It's Tyree Kill going up against his former team. And, you know, Tyree Kill is very much in the MVP conversation, in my opinion, because he could be breaking a record this year. And so I think that's where the intrigue lies for me, Uh, Patrick Mahomes coming off of a double-digit loss is also very interesting because Donovan used the stat on the show. He's fourteen and three coming off of a of a loss. He's two and zero coming off of a double-digit loss. So I'm curious to see kind of how this one plays out. But this is a big game for the playoff picture. You know, both of these teams are, are you know have the same record as the Baltimore Ravens, who also have a tough matchup this week against Seattle know this could end up being one of those games that determines the top seed in the AFC I think we learn a lot about these teams this week again understanding that it's over in Germany and it may not be the same type of football game that we're used to seeing when they play in their home stadiums, but I think it's going to be interesting nonetheless because that AFC playoff picture like if the if the Dolphins lose then the Bills are, are in contention again, and the Jets are in contention again. If Kansas City loses, like, that opens the door, even though I don't think anything's going to happen, but it does open the door for a team like the Chargers to, to make a push here. So I think it's a big game for both teams, but very curious to see what Cindy Reed knows about his former player in Tyreek Hill and how they manage to game plan around him, because he's been the best player on the Miami Dolphins, so far.
0: Uh, usually a game that I would probably just skip over when we have these conversations but since the last time we talked, uh, Mr. Marchese, the Las Vegas Raiders have done some house cleaning and probably deservedly. So done some house cleaning. Uh, it's going to be a much different looking group. We've got a new head coach in there for the interim. Eden uh, O'Connell will get the start at quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo will find himself stapled to the bench. How curious are you to see what kind of response the Las Vegas Raiders give uh, the New York Giants on Sunday afternoon?
1: Well, apparently everybody's happy because they have a small basketball hoop in the Las Vegas dressing room, <laughs> so, I mean, everything's got to be good. Devontae Adams was balling out, and he's so happy, and I don't know. I You know, I thought the Raiders were going to be bad. I said on the show I didn't think that they were going to make the playoffs You know, when we were doing our previews. I didn't think Jimmy Garoppolo was going to finish the year as the quarterback of the Raiders, like, Did I see Josh McDaniels not keeping – I thought Josh McDaniels was at least going to last a year, and then they axe him. But imagine how bad it's gotten twice for Josh McDaniels in his head coaching tenure that he has not made it to the end of his second season. Like, that is so unbelievably bad. Is Aiden O'Connell better than Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't know. Probably not but I think they're going to find out what he is. If he's good enough, then, you know, because they're probably not going to finish low enough at this point, unless Aiden O'Connell is really bad, that they're going to be able to draft one of the top quarterbacks. Um, the other thing is, is maybe he is good, and maybe he just needs a little bit of a run, and maybe he'll keep Devontae Adams happy. I'm not sure. Um, but what I do know is that's not a good football team. The problem is, is that they may not learn a lot about themselves because the team they're playing is also not a good football team. Uh, Daniel Jones is questionable. Uh, We know Tyron Taylor is not playing. Apparently Saquon Barkley is questionable. Like, I don't know what team the Giants are going to roll out. They traded away Leonard Williams to the Seahawks. Like, it's going to be a tire fire of a game. It's going to be absolutely horrible. And I don't know what either team learns about themselves in a win, but I'm pretty sure that both one, won, um, especially at this juncture in the season when a lot of teams still think that they're in it. But, man, it's, in Vegas, Like there's something about the Raiders and hiring coaches, and it just, for whatever reason, has not worked out for basically anybody. And at some point, Mark Davis has to look internally and say, what are we doing wrong in these coaching hire processes? Like, why do we keep messing up? Like, the Gruden thing, you know, I know there were other issues surrounding John Gruden that, you know, didn't necessarily have anything to do with football. But that team wasn't very good on the field either, and it had talent. This team has talent, not very good on the field. And so I wonder if they look at their hiring process and say, how can we fix this? And maybe, just maybe, It's time to not go out and grab the big, sexy name and maybe find the next Mike McDaniel or Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan or or whoever that is. And maybe it's not the big name hire that makes a difference. Look at, you know, when Rich Versace took over from John Gruden after he resigned as the head coach, that team played a lot better. A lot, they were, you know, there was a lot more coherent football And so I wonder if they they changed course and and look in a different direction for the next head coach and not necessarily go after the big name.
0: Well, and look, I'm no expert, and they're not going to take my advice, but why in the world you'd be giving out a six-year contract for a guy like like, like they did for Josh McDaniel? I have no idea. I mean, if you're going to give out 10-year contracts and six-year contracts, I mean, you better be sure you've got an established guy – picking up the other side of that and now you're paying him for four more seasons because you guys can't get a coaching hire right I just things like that to just make me scratch my head Maddie. about why are you giving that guy of all people a six-year deal
1: interesting that you say that because I saw something that they are paying between John Gruden and Josh McDaniels now somewhere in the range and I know it's a big range but it's a lot of money between 40 and $80 million to not coach their football team. No, like, no. if that's not mismanagement, I don't know what is. And it's funny how, you know, Don and I had this conversation earlier in the week. I believe it was yesterday, actually, where we talked about, you know, Patriot head coaches that or that, uh, former Patriots that have become head coaches, guys that are on that Bill Belichick tree. How many have panned out? Of the 10 oh. that I... Put together, I believe only two of them had a winning record. And so the question becomes, you know, is the Patriot way really a thing in the NFL? Like, um, unless you have a track record like Bill Belichick, who's won Super Bowls, do players really want you to be like Bill Belichick? Because the respect factor is not there. Matt Patricia tried to do it in Detroit. Joe Judge tried to do it with the Giants. Josh McDaniels tried to do it with the Raiders. None of it... Has worked. The only guy who's had a modicum of success as a head coach for a long time was Bill O'Brien. And then he tried to turn the Houston Texans into Patriots South, and it didn't work. Got himself booted out the door because he traded DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of deflated footballs. I mean, there's something to be said about if you don't have a track record, you need to adjust yourself accordingly and have some self-awareness in how you coach. Because the way Bill Belichick coaches, as we're seeing with his own team, doesn't necessarily work
0: anymore. Uh, Last but not least for you, Matt, you're going to go in a a bit of a different direction with this question, just because I'm curious about how people perceive these two quarterbacks. Uh, Sunday morning here in Calgary, it's the Cardinals and the Browns. Uh, Kyler Murray is officially questionable, but let's assume he plays on Sunday. Deshaun Watson's back from injury on the Cleveland side of things. For the rest of this season, who in your mind needs to prove more? Kyler Murray to prevent his team from going out and drafting their next franchise quarterback or Deshaun Watson, who's already been paid out a ridiculous amount of money on this fully guaranteed contract and finally needs to live up to some portion of it.
1: So I think it's Deshaun Watson because it's, the, you know, the, the circumstances in which he went to Cleveland. You, we all know about the off-field stuff that is, you know, if we believe it's true, and I believe that a lot of us think it's true when there's that many, um, it's horrific. And, you know, he's, he's come into Cleveland, and he's not anywhere near the quarterback that we thought we were going to see. The guy who was so electric in Houston, he hasn't even been half as good as the player that he was. And he got the largest guaranteed contract in NFL history. At least Kyler Murray looks like a guy that can play football, or at least the last time we saw him looks like a guy that can play football. We can't say the same thing about Deshaun Watson. And it wasn't because, you know, he was suspended, so he missed a bunch of games last year.
0: And then you're like,
1: okay, you know, he missed some games. Let's give him four games, get his feet under him. And we gave him four games, and he wasn't very good. And then we gave him time at the beginning of this season before he hurt his shoulder. He wasn't very good. So I think the proof is kind of in the pudding. Deshaun Watson may be washed here. So I think for me, he's he's the guy that has to prove the most here going forward.
0: Uh, quickly, before we get out of here, uh, Bill's picking up a win on Sunday night in Cincinnati. Oh boy, I hope
1: so. My heart can't <laughs> take it anymore, Logo. Um, I think... I think the the loss of Dawson Knox in some weird roundabout way has made them realize that they need to have three receivers on the field and use the speed that they have, along with Dalton Kincaid, who's been really good the last two weeks. Um, I think that the addition of Rasul Douglas will be interesting, the same with the addition of Linval Joseph uh, in the middle of that that front four. So I think that they're going to give Cincinnati a game here. This feels like a game that's decided by a field goal. I know the spread says as much. Um, I'm going to say that the Bills do win this week. There's something about them going back to Cincinnati. And after, you know, we know all the stuff about DeMar Hamlin, and there's no question that that was horrible. But let's not forget that the Bills got absolutely wiped in the AFC uh, divisional game against the Cincinnati Bengals at home in the snow where the Bills are supposed to thrive. So I think the Bills come out and they get a win on Sunday.
0: We'll see what happens, Matty. Great stuff as always, pal. Appreciate the chat. Have a great weekend. We'll chat with you next week. You too, pal. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Matt Marchese joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Guest hotline. Host of the Fan Checkdown with Donovan Bennett every weekday here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll take a break. Come back on the other side. It's the Flames and the Seattle Kraken for the first time this season coming up on Saturday night. Let's take a look at the Flames' next opponent. Play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken, Everett Fitzhugh, joins us next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Next up for the Calgary Flames, a quick one-game road trip to the West Coast. Get their first look at their division rival, the Seattle Kraken. Seattle, winners of two in a row, including a 4-2 win last night over the Nashville Predators. Looking forward to this one. Always enjoy when these two teams meet up and help us take a look at the Flames' next opponent. Always love getting a chance to chat with this next gentleman as we go down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcome to the program, the play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken. Everett Fitzhugh joins us this Friday afternoon. Everett, thank you as always for the time, my man. How are you? Hey Logan, doing well, man. Doing well. How things been your way? Uh, we're doing okay, uh, as long as you don't want to talk about the hockey team here for a little bit. Uh, we're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, I I feel like uh, a, a lot of a lot of your fans will have to be happy with what's going on a little further north. I think the the unfortunate trend of events in Calgary has to be made a little bit better by the unfortunate trend of events up in Edmonton as well.
0: Yeah. See, and if it hadn't been for the heritage classic outdoors on the weekend, I I would have said that you were a hundred percent bang on, but now the Oilers fans can kind of hold that over the flames. Both of them have two wins (laughs) on the season, but for Edmonton, one of those is against Calgary. So it's a, it's a bit of hit and miss here, but uh, it's been a, it's been a while, man. Glad to chat with you again, Seattle uh, picking up a big win over Nashville last night. What did you see uh, from the Kraken and a big win over the predators?
2: Yeah, I think the what stood out for me last night was was their ability to hold on to a lead. Uh The last four games for Seattle on that road trip, they saw four two-goal leads go by the wayside in each of those games. They bookended the trip with a couple of uh, overtime wins in Detroit and then in uh, Tampa. You lose an overtime in Carolina last Thursday, and then you fall in Florida. Off of a funky bounce, uh, off of a corner stanchion in Florida on Saturday. So for Seattle to come back home uh, to to be able to hold on to the lead, play a complete game uh, last night. Also, I felt was a statement game from Philip Grubauer. Uh, this early portion of the season for him was not too kind, and he'll tell you that. The coaching staff will tell you that. But he bounced back last night with with a solid performance. Uh, that, that he needed, and, and and he desperately was happy to see.
0: What's been the the early storyline for this Seattle team? When we meet up with the Flames tomorrow, it'll be a four five and two record. And I mentioned the Seattle team's won two in a row. Uh, but what's sort of been the the main thread to watch from the Seattle team as the season uh, has been through its first month now, Everett?
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, our, our Kraken head coach Dave Haxtall has been saying that. This team needs to get its swagger back. And last year, this Kraken roster was able to to check well. They, they could score off the rush. They could generate off of chances. Five-on-five, five, uh, if I'm not mistaken. The Kraken, I think, were third, uh, third fourth in the league in scoring five-on-five five last year. They had that swagger. They were able uh, to to score goals. Early on this season, the offense had not been there. The Seattle Kraken in four of their first five games scored one or fewer goals in those games. Uh and and that's not going to be the recipe for success. Now they're starting to find that scoring touch here again as of late. They're getting back to what has made them successful last year. They they're getting excellent play in transition to the neutral zone. Their zone exits are clean. Their zone entries have been meaningful. The power play, although it struggled early on, they went four for 10 uh, on the road trip last week, and then they had a couple power play goals um, last night as well. So the PK, which started the season 14 for 14, that's taken a bit of a a slip back, but now the power play is, is picking up. So for Seattle, I think they're starting to hit their stride, and, we saw this exact same thing last year with this team through 10 games last year, the Kraken were four, four and two before the win last night, the Kraken going into the month of November were, uh, were three, five and two. So you're only two points off of of your pace from last season. The Kraken then went on to win their first six games in November, ultimately finishing the month with a ten one and one record for November. Now, obviously brand new season uh, and all of that, but for the Kraken, it looks like over their last four games on that road trip and their last night against Nashville, you're you're seeing a rounding of a corner, a turning of a corner from, from those early season struggles in the first five or six games.
0: Uh, talk about some individual performances early on this season with the Everett. You mentioned the goaltending in Philip Grubauer with a bit of a statement game last night. It's interesting to me from the outside looking in to see Joey Decord off to such a good start for this Seattle team. He's up to five games already played this season. That equals the total that he's played in each of the last two years with the team. He got up to five filling in here and there, but his numbers have been strong this year, it looks like he's given the, the crack in a good option on those nights when they haven't been able to go to Philip Grubauer.
2: Yeah, the backup goaltending, the number two goaltending spot on this roster, I think was probably the biggest um, point of emphasis. That was that was the biggest storyline, at least for me, going into camp with Martin Jones. The 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 record he had last year twenty five wins, and you know when Philip when Philip Grubauer went down uh, early in the season in Chicago when he missed a a month and a half of the season, Martin Jones was the large reason why the Kraken went on that run in October November. Uh, or November, December, rather, and then he was a big reason for that uh, winning streak on on the the road trip early in January. So who was going to take that torch? Who was going to step in as that number two goaltender? And I think Joey Decord, now being given an opportunity to to make the uh, NHL roster right out of camp, something he's never done before, now he knows that he has an opportunity to get some consistent playing time, This is a system in which, you know, there really isn't, if if you ask Dave Hackstall, there really isn't a one and two. It's more of a one A, one B. You need the tandem. You need guys going. So, you know, Philip Grubauer, I would expect him, if you want to keep him fresh for the playoffs, you know, I would expect him to get maybe 50, 55 starts around there this season. And and that means – you know, just under 30 for Joey Decord, if not maybe a few more, maybe those numbers even out a bit. so for for Seattle to be able to have him have some early season success, the way he plays, the way he moves the puck, he, he really is like a, a sixth weapon out there on breakouts and things like that. so for for Joey, it was a really good start for him and then he showed uh, that he has earned this spot uh, on the roster out of camp.
0: I think for a lot of people, when we look at this Seattle team, especially last year, we think uh, first and foremost of Matty Beniers and what he's been able to do. Strong season last year in his first full year in the NHL. But I I wonder if you'd agree, it seems like maybe part of the slow start for the Seattle Kraken this season is because Matty Beniers maybe hasn't been off to the strongest start. He's got three points uh, in 11 games to start the season. What are you seeing out of the top center for the Seattle Kraken to start the year?
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it's been a little bit slow for him, but I mean, listen, you're a 20 year old sophomore in the NHL. I mean, you're coming off of a Calder season and, um, but now you're going through this league for the third, for the fourth time you're seeing these teams uh, out East, you know, now for your, your third and fourth time. So for Maddie, you know, you're now being game planned for, right? Every time, Edmonton goes into a, into a building, right? How are we going to shut down McDavid? How are we going to shut down Dry Saddle for Calgary? What are we going to do with Cadre and Lindholm, right? Well, for Seattle, Matty Beniers is at the top of that list. Here's what we need to do as an opposing team to shut him down. And I think that's just part of the growing pains uh, for, for Matty Beniers. Look, he's going to be fine. And the thing about Matty, and I think what makes it even more frustrating for him, he's getting the chances. He, he's, he's putting in the work. Um, he he is committing to getting better. He he's now coming on the ice, you know, 15 minutes before practice, working on things on his own without the coach's help. Um, he's improved in the faceoff circle. I think that was one area that, if you asked me going into the second season for Maddie Beniers, where does he need to improve? I would say winning draws, and he's done that so far this season. So Maddie, he's going to get it together, and and I feel like we're going to be sitting here, you know, this time in March, April, late in the season. And we're going to look back at this 10-15 game stretch for Maddie, and we're going to be laughing because I think he's going to be he's going to figure it out. But this is just something he has to work through. I think he's he's really leaning on the Jordan Eberleys of the world, the Jaden Schwartzes of the world, the players who have been at this level for a long time, who have seen success, and um, to, to help him get through it. But Maddie is fine. He's not sulking. He's he's not laying, you know, uh, lowering his head and and, and all of that he understands the pressure uh, that's put on him and he understands his responsibility. And I think it's just a matter of him learning, uh, you know, uh, through these growing pains that he's experiencing in year two.
0: Two guys that really took off offensively last year for the Seattle Kraken uh, on the forward group, Jared McCann, obviously uh, hit that 40 goal mark. He's off to a great start again this year. Uh, He's got six goals on the season and Vince Dunn, really leading the charge defensively when it comes to providing offense for this team. Everett, he had 64 points last season. He's up to nine points on the season. That's gotta be great for cracking fans to see these guys being able, at least it's early, but to see signs of them repeating some of that offensive production that they brought last year.
2: Yeah, I mean, with Vince Dunn, you signed that seven-year contract or that uh, that five-year contract, rather, in of the off-season. You 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 now have a permanent home. You got that big ticket, and now he's gone out there and proved that he's deserved it of that contract. And I think not only offensively is Vince Dunn such uh, such a great piece, but I think defensively as well. Him playing with Adam Larson, who is a very calm, very stable presence back on the Kraken blue line, it has helped Vince Dunn. Defensively, He has improved his game defensively. You don't see him caught out of position too many times. You don't see him, uh, you know, making too many radical plays offensively. But the offense seems to find him, and that's really good uh, for, for him. And, and listen, a number of folks you talk to, broadcasters around the league, other folks, they'll tell you that that pair of Dun Larson, I mean, that probably can be a top defensive pair in 12, 15 teams around the league. So, these two players are really growing together as a defensive pair. And it's showing as far as Jared McCann goes, he picked up where he left off from last year. And listen, I think that this were any other team in the NHL, you know, at least 20 other teams in the NHL, he would be a captain. I mean, the leadership that he brings, the, the leading by example on the ice off the ice that he brings is something that has really helped this team. And I remember in our first season, we're in Toronto, uh, and, and Jared McCann they announced that five year contract for him, uh, that extension for him, and he was saying, I can finally unpack all my boxes. Uh, his girlfriend at the time, now his fiance, uh, you know, he, he, her and him can now, they can buy a house. They, they, they can worry about hockey. They don't have to worry about where they're going to end up. And I think he's really taken on that responsibility here at Seattle. He is that offensive catalyst. And for a team that lost 101 points on your fourth line, you're going to need your best players to be your best players. Uh, Jared McCann, James Schwartz, Matty Beneers, Jordan Everly. the latter two have gotten off to slower starts, but you have other players to pick them up. And I think Jared McCann is really, like I said, he he did not miss a beat uh, in the summer and he's continuing that upward trajectory we saw from 40 goals last year.
0: We're taking a look at the Flames' next opponent. It's Saturday night in Seattle in their first taste against the Seattle Kraken this season. We're being joined by uh, play-by-play voice of the Seattle crack and Everett Fitzhugh on the program this afternoon. Uh, Everett talked to me about a couple of the new guys uh, filling in on this Seattle team this season, uh, specifically one we know well here in Calgary. Kyler Yamamoto is in Seattle yeah. after uh, his time with the Edmonton Oilers and uh, a guy we talked about in the off season, Brian Dumoulin joined the back end in Seattle. How have the fits been for those two guys?
2: Yeah, I think Yamamoto he's fitting real nice and you know, listen, you're going to pick up a thing or two playing with McDavid, Dreisaitl, Dusan Hopkins uh, <laughs> on a nightly basis, right? But I think for him, he has settled into that mucky grinding fourth-line role here for Seattle, and he's really thrived. He he has been able to generate offense from that fourth-line position. Like I said, last year, between Daniel Sprong, Ryan Donato, and Morgan Geeky, in the off season, the Kraken lost 101 points of offense. So, you need people like Akato Yamamoto to pick up the slack. Devin Shore as well, uh, who Flames fans are familiar with through his time at Edmonton, uh, also on that fourth line. But Yamamoto, he he's, plays on the power play. He, he works extremely hard, and I think he complements this team uh, to give them that offense from your bottom six. So he's been... Uh, I, I think, as advertised, he's been a perfect piece for this team so far. And Brian Dumoulin, listen, when you're skating with, you know, future Hall of Famer and Chris Letang for 10 years, I mean, you're going to bring, you know, the cups. You're going to bring the experience. Again, much like Adam Morrison, he, he's a calming presence on the blue line. You don't see him making a whole lot of mistakes, but he's got goals in back-to-back games for the first time in his career. He sneakily finds his way either on the score sheet or he generates plays in the defensive zone, whether it be breakouts, whether it be hustling for loose pucks to help lead the team north. And I think that is an attribute that goes unnoticed a lot. Um, Like I said, you don't see him out of position that often, but Brian Dumoulin has really been, I I think, a quiet surprise defensively for Seattle early on.
0: Uh, Before we let you go, Everett, got to know, Flames fans are going to be concerned. uh, Will the good luck charm, will Mama Fitz be in the building Uh, tomorrow night, helping you on the broadcast and giving Seattle a little extra luck tomorrow?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, Mama Fitz will not make it in town this weekend, unfortunately. Uh, uh, For those curious, my mom, I'm from Detroit. We were in Detroit last week, and my mom popped into the press box and and watched the the second period uh, with us. And the Kraken scored three goals in the second period, and then my mom left. And the Kraken gave up three power play goals in a row and had to come back and win that game in overtime. She sent me the text message. She goes, "Don't make me come back up there." And I got that shiver down my spine. I've heard that before growing up, so I think the got scared as well and, and got their act together. But uh, but no, my mom will actually be in town for American Thanksgiving. She'll be down here for uh, the San Jose game uh, and the Vancouver Canuck game. So hopefully. Uh, she can give some of her good luck to to the Canucks, and we can take those guys down here in a few weeks. And then I think she's going to come back again in December. Uh, we have a back to back. I forget who's on that uh, on that back to back swing, but yeah, my mom she'll be here a little bit before Christmas and on the holidays. But hey, if she gets another win, I may have to put tickets <laughs> in the line item for the cracking budget. It's like hey, this is. Uh, mama Fitz needs, needs some tickets.
0: (laughs) That was so cool, man. I love seeing the picture of you and your mom. Glad she got to get up there uh, in the press box with you. Uh, Great to see, man. Uh, Enjoy the game tomorrow. always appreciate you jumping on with me, man. Uh, Have a great time. Enjoy American Thanksgiving. We'll chat with you again during the season, pal. All right, bud. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Take care. Everett Fitzhugh joining us down the Atlas pizza and sports bar guest hotline. He is the play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken. they're the next opponent for the Calgary flames. It's Saturday night hockey. Flames and Seattle tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Pat Steinberg's got your Flames warm up. 8 o'clock, Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan could be a different looking Flames lineup with all the changes the last 48 hours. If you've missed them, Jordan Osterley has cleared waivers. He's been sent to the American Hockey League's Calgary Wranglers along with Matt Coronado. They were in action this afternoon against the San Jose Barracuda at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome. Good news for Flames fans. Matt Coronado hit the score sheet in his AHL debut. So, a good start for Matty Coronado in uh, Wranglers uniform. Nick D. Simone and Martin Pospisil recalled from the Wranglers. Uh, they were with the team in that practice today. Uh, if you missed it, Pat, St- uh, Pat Steinberg, host of Flames Talk, had your lines and pairings at practice on Friday. Huberto Lindholm, Mangipani, Zeri, Kandry, Sharon Govich. Pospisol on that line with Backlund and Coleman. Hunt with Dubay and Dewar. AJ Greer skating as your extra forward. Weger was with was, was with Anderson. Say that ten times fast. Hannifin with Tanev and Zadorov with Gilbert. Uh, have to wait for morning skate, potentially warm up tomorrow to see if those lines and deep pairings uh, apply to the game against the Seattle Kraken. We're wrapping things up here on Sportsnet today. Uh, quick thank you to all of our guests that joined us this afternoon. Adnan Virk from MLB Network breaking down all things World Series. Matt Marchese looking at the NFL slate coming up this weekend. And, of course, our chat with Everett Fitzhugh taking a look at the Seattle Kraken who take on the Flames tomorrow night. Hour one, we dove, we dove right into the Matt Coronado situation. Heard from head coach Ryan Huska and more. If you missed any of the content on the show today, hit us up on the podcast, Sportsnet Today 960, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite pod catcher. Thank you for listening with or on the podcast. We appreciate it. Shout out to my outstanding producers this afternoon, Azam and Taylor, for their great work. Enjoy the weekend. Have some fun. The Flames look to end their six-game losing streak against the Seattle Kraken on Saturday. we got Real Kipper and Bourne coming up next, and then Flames Talk with Steinberg and Vickers. I'll hear from you a little bit later on. You'll hear from me a little bit later on as part of the Hitman pregame show tonight on your radio. Hitman and the Everett Silver Tips with Brad Curl. And Jeff Hollick on the call. That's your afternoon and evening right here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan.